Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Troy Ganter is a restaurateur. He is most importantly a sober dude. And I'm going to call him a renaissance man. He lives, walks, and breathes the program. One of the most incredible things about his story, and there's a lot of incredible stuff, is the fact that he has found a way to navigate a sober life, and I'm talking about a real sober life, in the restaurant industry. I think a lot of people in the restaurant industry can wrestle with a life of sobriety, especially when they're in the restaurant industry drinking and using. It's like, how do I get to that other side and stay in this business? Troy talks about that, honestly and openly. He doesn't have a secret recipe, uh, or maybe he does. You'll have to listen. But he owns the bar, Papa's Raw Bar, in Lighthouse Point, Florida, and he's the man. This conversation was beyond all expectations. My friend Matt Midget, who I love and was with this weekend with four of my friends from college, was uh, the guy who put us together, and uh, yeah, Troy is the, <laughs> Troy's the man, so enjoy it. But first, Kevin Souza. <laughs> Troy, uh, first of all, thank you so much <laughs> for your pay. This was a test to see if you were spiritually fit or not. Um, and you, 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 pa- work in progress, my you, man. you passed the test. I hope it's not a sign because I'm trying to get my act together here. <laughs> so I want to go backwards before we go forwards. What, what is your sobriety date? Uh, September 30th, 2016. I'll be coming up on seven years in September. All right. Now I know, uh, for the, the, the first part of your story that I think is awesome is that, you worked in the restaurant industry. Now, anybody that's worked in the restaurant industry, you still do, right? But knows that there's a lot of temptation and a lot of, you know, trappings for folks. When you got sober, or I guess when you got sober, you were like, I can never do that again. I think a lot of, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people when they get sober think that they'll never be able to return to, you know, some of the environments uh, that you know, got them drunk and high. I think you're a great example of when you get sober, you can be as free as you want with your, with your life and with what you're doing, as long as you are like to be cliche, but spiritually fit. Right. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge. You know, getting sober is difficult, but, um, you know, that first year or two was, um, extremely, extremely challenging. And, um, being a a restaurant owner, I, I had some of my highlights in that restaurant in, in my, you know, in, in my career as a restaurateur, after getting sober, I, um, I really tried to do everything outside of that restaurant. I didn't know I had anxiety until I got sober. And going to work um, really, really brought that anxiety on. And uh, it was very different for me. I used to think anxiety was for weak people. And, uh, you know, here I am trying to run and manage my own business. And um, I had a hard time showing up to work. So that's uh, very difficult. I'm a you know a proud proud man, a family guy, and I, I started to try to find my life outside of the restaurant. So it, w- it was a tremendous challenge. How did you co- how did you cope with it early on? Because my story is like, 
Yeah, I, I didn't have anything going. So when I got sober, I was I literally well, I went to rehab. Then they told me I should go somewhere else. I went to a recovery house. Then I lived for a while with another sober dude. I would imagine if I had the opportunities like like you had, I probably would have tried to find a way to weave it all in together. H- how did you weave it all in together? You said it was challenging. How did you cope with the challenges? It, it took time. Um, I think it was just a lot of hard work and effort. You know, they talk about two things you really have control over, attitude and effort. But, um, you know, the first two years, really trying to find that balance. And, um, you know, at that time, my, my wife, kind of our relationship got worse. And here I thought, I'm, I'm a sober man. Woe is me. Everything was going to work out. Yeah. And I, you know, dropped the drink and the drug, and I, I kind of felt like my wife liked me even less, which was hard to say because I was a, <laughs> I don't know, I a curse. I turned into a piece of shit towards the end of my, um, my, my active days running out there. And um, that, that was really tough. And the, the same thing kind of happened at work. So I, I really had to start off by setting those healthy boundaries and really focusing on, on myself which is very difficult because I, I don't think I'm a selfish person until you kind of shine a flashlight on it. And I can tend to be selfish and manipulative and all, you know, all those fun things you, you learn in, um, in this process. Um, it just took, um, it took time and it took a lot of hard work diving into the, the for me, the big book, working with um, other people in recovery and uh, really kind of tapping into what all my weaknesses were, you know, that are now my, my strengths. So, um, it's probably one of the most challenging things to do is to, to get clean and then to stay clean. And, you know, here it's been six years and I, I feel like, um, not starting all over, but I feel like I finally, finally got my act together. It's funny you mentioned this with being spiritually fit and I used to try and worry about mentally, physically, and spiritually. Very important to me. I got, I got into this because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I, I really, if you asked me one thing that I wanted, I just wanted to be happy. And, you know, I thought by making other people happy and, you know, people pleasing and getting everybody high and drunk and being the life of the party, I thought that was it. And in hindsight, I was just really lost for a long time. So uh, here I am today. I'm trying to work on that spiritual fitness. Well, and, and you're giving it away right now. I, I want to talk about how sort of cosmic how you and I are talking at this moment. I was with our, our, our mutual buddy, Matt Midget, and uh, we were – we were, you know, I went to see Matt with, a, with four of my college buddies, and he just packed in the greatest trip, you know, for, for us uh, up in, in, in Cashiers, North Carolina. But we were out by this waterfall, and, and I was like, it's free. He was talking about how cold the water was, and, you know, we're out there like hiking. And I was like, do you cold plunge? And he was like, no, my buddy Troy, uh, you know, has cold plunge. And he looks at me, he's like, he's sober. I'm like, dude, I know, I know Troy. Like, we're, we're connected, uh, you know, social media wise. And then I was like, I got to have him, I got to see if he can make time and, and come on this, this podcast and chat about sobriety. And, and Matt was like singing your praises and I, I, you know, his word is bond. So I was like, I got to do this. And now here you and I are talking, uh, which is, which is pretty awesome. And he, he said a lot of great things about you. And I want to go back into, into how, you know, you became who you are today. Did you grow up in Florida? I did. I'm a native. You know, and there wasn't too many of us. And as we grow old, older, we realized um, there's more than one. So, yeah, I'm a native to here. Where, so where did you grow up? What city in Florida? I grew up in Tamarack. Um, didn't realize I was a Tamarack cracker. <laughs> <clears throat> so I came back from college 
um, you know, I went to high school in Fort Lauderdale. I got my Cardinal Gibbons. Oh, yeah. Um, I say they politely asked me to leave, but um, the truth is I got kicked out after just complete nonsense. And I ended up graduating from Caravella and then um, went up to Florida State for college. How, how, when did you start to, uh, like, abuse drugs to the point where I, I, I always say alcohol and drugs was, like, my, my first spiritual experience. When, when did you realize, okay, this stuff really turns me on? Was there a moment or a time period? It was, it was love at first sight. As soon as I touched whatever it was, I'm, I'm all in everything that I do. I'm extreme, I'm 100% hard in the paint. So, you know, as soon as I started drinking, I was drinking every day. As soon as I started smoking, I was smoking every day. Um, I got into other stuff too that I, you know, and I, you tell yourself you're doing all these things that you can cope and you perform better when you're on these drugs or alcohol. And it's, it, it, it's easy to convince yourself at the time until you look back at all the carnage that you caused. And you were pretty, um, you were yeah, pretty much raised in the restaurant industry. Is that right? I was. I joke about being born or conceived in the, the dining room there. Um, <laughs> my dad would come back and forth from work. He would come home, you know, either have a drink or have dinner. Um, sometimes things were cool. Sometimes it was an argument, and then he'd get back to work. Um, and he was commuting to Lighthouse Point from Tamarack. How far sometimes is that? There'd be... It's a 35 minute drive, probably about 15, 15 miles. What is, what's, uh, what's the biggest city uh, close to like Camarack? Is, is that Fort Lauderdale? Coral Springs and uh, Plantation is out there. Okay. Where, um, Fort Lauderdale is more out east. So Lighthouse Point is between Fort Lauderdale and um, Deerfield Beach for Boca Raton. So he's driving back and forth and, and, and this is like, this is your normal upbringing, right? I, lo- I, I appreciate you saying Sometimes there was an argument, sometimes there wasn't, because that's, it sounds like your dad may have kind of has, has the makeup that you have. That's my story, at least. And, uh, um, de- definitely. I mean, my mom was a hardcore Sicilian, I can call her a VIT because I love her to death. But, you know, <laughs> she came from, from New York. They, she met my dad in the Bahamas, who was kind of escaping from the world. Um, he's got an incredible story. And, you know, they met in the Bahamas and came here and started this Bahamian restaurant. And the, the restaurant industry is a whole nother marriage. And, um, you know, not to backtrack, but, you know, we deal with it every day. We're in an industry where, you know, there's talented people who come to work and make a lot of money and spend it quicker than they make it. And um, I, I feel like um, addiction runs rampant in this industry. We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Souza. I love smoothies, but I don't love smoothie bar prices. With my BlendJet 2 Portable Blender, I can make smoothie bar quality beverages for a fraction of the price. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita at the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly with the USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement just about any style. I like the urban camo print myself. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code PETE12. That way you'll get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, 
power, and innovation of the Blend Jet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blend Jet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code PETE12. Remember, you get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Souza, and we're talking about how to look good. I, of course, need help looking good, and Champions Barber and Salon helps me out. If you're looking for a great haircut or shave experience, go to Champion Salon and Barber. Their skilled barbers and stylists are dedicated to giving you the best service possible. Whether you need a simple haircut or a complete grooming package, they have got you covered. They have two convenient locations. I've been to both of them. They're awesome. One in Waco and one in Woodway. You can also book appointments online or through their app, which makes it easy to schedule your next visit. So why wait? Visit Champion Salon and Barber today and experience a cut above the rest. Yeah, it runs rampant in this industry. We, you know, we've tried to really get back to help, you know, to, to help out different causes and, you know, foundations that, you know, that give back to the cause and that, you know, that help people in our industry. It's tough. We, we've lost people out of restaurants to death by addiction. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm constantly around people who are, are using so it's difficult, but um, we've, we've really changed our, our culture at work to try and create a place where you can come and be a better person. I believe that if, if I can get people to show up to work and try to be the best versions of themselves inside and outside of work, you know, imagine the kind of workplace that we could have. And um, that's really been where I've I fought so hard trying to live my father's legacy. And even though I started my own restaurant next to his, I always felt like I was kind of carrying on his, his torch and I spent so much time trying to get out of that. I started a, a brand, Eat, Drink, and Be Local, that was about building synergy amongst the community and bringing businesses together and fueling off competition, you know, not using it to, to separate each other. And, um, you know, I built an app and I did, I did everything I could to really grow outside of the restaurant because I was anxious at my restaurant. And it was recently that I we hired a consultant and I drove back into the restaurant business. I kind of admitted that I wasn't a restaurateur and learning to be a great restaurateur and it is part of my DNA. And I, I guess my legacy today is that I'm not trying to carry on my father's course in the restaurant, but I'm trying to use this platform that I have to be a spiritual leader at work. And, and, and so it's, it's pretty much, you, you, you know, Papa's Raw Bar, right? Uh, that's your spot now. And that's it. And it's an incredible comeback story. And you talk about, you know, you mentioned you went to Florida State. You guys, you and your dad working together, you turn a $300,000 commissary into a $7 million business, right? And, yep. and, then it, and then the world changes in 2009. And how, how do you respond to that when, you know, you're, it sounds like everything is booming and you're still using, right? You're... And I would imagine it's like a candy store, work every day, or maybe it's not. I don't know. But I, 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 it was. I, I was sleeping at work. I was going out every night, coming home late. Um, my wife was pregnant. You know, we went bankrupt, lost six homes. I uh, finagled one of my buddies that was an attorney into getting me into a house real quick in Del Rey, where I stopped paying my mortgage as soon as we moved in. <laughs> and um, I didn't save any money. We just still lived hard in the pain. I was taking my wife with me, so you know she, she saw me party, and she would party too. Not why she was pregnant, but that was probably one of our darkest 
spaces that, you know, we're in this new house in Delray Beach, getting away from my restaurant and, you know, not knowing what I was going to do in life, but just I was a complete degenerate. I ended up getting back into serving tables at my dad's restaurant and was probably at my all-time low. And you had two kids while this is going on? No, my wife was pregnant with our, our first son. Okay. And um, we had another one come 13 months after. So we, we stayed in Delray. We ended up opening up. I started waiting tables again. And this opportunity came up to open a restaurant right next to my dad's restaurant. So we did that. And um, and at the time, though, you were, at the time you weren't sober. No. And that's yeah. what I was going to say. Just because I wasn't sober, you know, I, I felt like even in addiction, I, I had so many talents to build great things. Yeah. But I was just amazing at demolishing them. So there <laughs> yeah. was like always this, this up and down that like, you know, it's not like I was a complete waste. Yeah. I could, I could lead and do great things, but um, I also could, you know, hurt, hurt a lot of people and, and, and demolish things. It's, I always say, time. Troy, I was, you know, sooner or later the junkie was going to show up, right? The alcoholic was going to show I could create this great thing or come perform at work or, or meet you and your family, and you'd be like, wow, this guy's great. And then sooner or later, if you gave me enough time, I was going to implode, and I was going to take people oh, with yeah. me. I was going to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so in 2014, you, you take over. Right, like like things start things start to move in the right direction for you, if, if, like like business wise. Yeah, we started. I've always had that. I was most successful when my wife met me, and then when we opened up the raw bar, it, it hit the floor running. Um, and then we were running two restaurants next to each other, and um, you know, I, I got myself into a little trouble. I got I got arrested, and it was something that was really a shame. It was I got arrested for domestic violence, and um, I've never laid a hand on my wife and. No, wouldn't and um and didn't we just got we you know we got into it outside and yelling and the, the cops the neighbors called the cops and cops came i'm arguing with them people that i know and i'm friendly with i know i'm a great guy and so i'm not and you know they took me away and i spent i spent a long weekend in jail and you know that's when it wasn't like my all-time low i've had lower points than that but it was just came this point in my life that it was the first time that i really I really admitted that I was an alcoholic and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I didn't need help. I really wanted help. I had gone, I had finally realized that I was in a state that I could not get myself out of and I, and I needed, I was desperate for help. And you, so you ask, people put money together to send their, their really good friends, really good friend, you, like a family member, to rehab. I went, I went to rehab and it wouldn't take my insurance. So I left. I had my backpack to do a 30 day rehab. Yeah. And I left. And, um, before I got home, I, I just, I didn't have an enemy to go home. I called my drug dealer and my bookie and borrowed money to, uh, get into a 90 day IOP program. <laughs> what? So that's, yeah. I read that you got money from friends. So it was your drug dealer and your bookie. Yeah. What the hell? How was that conversation? It was pretty, I mean, in hindsight, you would think, why the hell would they want to, you know, they're cutting into their business by them taking care of me. But, you know, I had a lot of respect from them. These are people that have been there for me. And, you know, we had a business respect for each other. I hate to say that, but, yeah. you know, we're like-minded in a lot of ways. And I still talk to these guys this day, and we have a very positive influence on each other. You know, we, we do, we're obviously all doing different things, but. um, <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's crazy how it all works out. So you go to the so you go to a ninety day IOP, and 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 what about your life 
starts to change. I mean, that to right away, you know, you you catch that bug, whatever it is, right? God doing for you what you can't do for yourself, but you you want this sobriety thing so much so that you call these guys up on the way home, and then. For me, that's kind of what happened, right? I, I started to follow suggestions. Like, I was in a blur when I went to rehab, but, like, when I committed to go to an extended care, I was just like, this feels good. I like it. My life outside of sobriety is a f- train wreck. Let me do this. And, you know, I went to an extended care. You sounds like you, you start to follow direction, too. What starts to change for you, and how do you start to follow direction? Well, I started going to active therapy at IOP and um, I love my therapist and I took her suggestions. I, I started going to a program. Um, my wife had met this incredible guy that um, Foot Locker picked up and he was running for sobriety and uh, he ended up building a, a snack bar. So it's not a snack bar, FroPro, which is pretty big down here in all food markets. And Fro, said, it's called FroPro? FroPro, yeah. Yeah, I've heard not of it. Midget, Midget was telling me about it. Yep. Yeah. So they're a big advocate for the recovery community. Everything they do, you know, supports that our industry. And um, I, um, because of my wife's training with him, I, I had somebody to reach out to and call. And um, he's still my sponsor till today. And um, he's way more than a friend. He's somebody who holds me accountable and, you know, shoots me straight, which is the last thing you need. You know, I've had friends get sober and they come to me and they go, oh, you'd be the perfect sponsor. I'm like, yeah. That's not how it works. You know, if we're going to sponsor each other, you know, we'll both end up out there again. So, you know, I found that person that was tough and that was disciplined and that had a routine and all those things that I wanted in life, you know, that, that's what, that's how I had to go out and find somebody who had the things that I didn't have. And, um, it's become much more than a friendship. It's, it's, it's this brotherhood and big thing is accountability. I didn't know how to hold myself accountable or other people accountable. And, um, it really changed everything. I called him and, you know, he said, you know, this is what I do. Meet me at my meeting. And there was that awkward stage for, you know, three weeks to a month of going to meetings every day. And when's this guy going to ask me to be a sponsor? What do I do? You know, how do I ask him? It's like asking a guy on a date. <laughs> so just, weird. Yeah. It's, it's really awkward. <laughs> and, you know, we're, do, we're doing the work and I just want to get going. You know, I'm, I'm still hard in the pain with everything I do. So, you know, I, I finally asked him to be my sponsor. He said, yes, we did the step work together. You know, I even took notes on that. I've been using that platform to take other people through sponsorship the way that I was taken. You know, so I try not to customize it. I stick to how it was done for me, and I, I try to pass that on. And it, it's, it's just been an amazing thing. Um, it's really changed my whole life around that um, my sole purpose in life and what I try and preach at work is to be of service. And I think that's why God put us here on earth. And, um, and that if you keep, keep it as simple as that, you know, just to be a service and help others. I'm wearing a shirt now that says be kind. It's my slogan for our new concept. But it's, um, that's what it's all about. And it's all full circle. We, we need to help each other. How, how many, so just how, how, how many meetings do you get to a week? Or, or, and I'm not putting you on the spot. You've just got, you've, no, you've, you've got totally something coming off you. Yeah, you're putting you're putting me on the spot big time. <laughs> so my sponsor's not gonna like this. I go to a, I go to one meeting a week. So okay. I'm, I'm religious about that. Um, I it wasn't until I was sober for like four years that I hired a business consultant, and I went and met with this consultant, uh, life coach, who ended up being a business consultant for me. And I met her at a Starbucks coffee, Julia Aquino. Um, systems, all systems grow. She's incredible. What's your name, Julia? And what? I, 
Julia Aquino. Okay. And I, I left this meeting scratching my head that um, her suggestion was to do a 90 and 90. And this was not about recovery. This was not about, this, this was literally to go and, you know, kind of get help for my business and my leadership team, which she ended up falling through there. But um, she knew I, 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 I was struggling. And I was facing all these challenges and I wasn't going to be who my family needed me to be and who my business needed me to be until, until I got over these hurdles and could be the best version of myself. And, and that's basically what a good therapist does is they don't really tell you what to do. They, they tell you what they, they're listening to from you and they repeat it back to you. <laughs> so that's what she heard from that conversation. She's like, you so she's not, she's me. not like a, like a sober person. No, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah. It just, and it was crazy how my sponsor had never, and I asked my sponsor, I'm like, why didn't, you know, why didn't you ever make me do a 90-90? I would have done it. And he's like, well, you're busy, you got kids, and it's just different. He doesn't have kids. He's married, he has a business, but, um, yeah. just, you know, and my recovery was good and making progress. So I did that. It changed, it, it definitely changed, changed me drastically. Let me ask you this. For, for you know, some people will listen to this. And they, they want to get sober, but they can't. And we've covered some of that, and we'll cover more of it. But guys that listen to this that are sober, I talk to so many sober guys, myself in the, included. I'm looking in the mirror when I say this. And I I like to think I work a decent program, but I talk a lot of shit about, oh, I need, I need a 90 and 90. I need, you know, I need to do that, blah, blah, blah. Um, what, what, where did you find the gear with all you have going on in your life to, to get a, a 90 and 90 in? How did you do it? Was there a certain time you went to? How did you work that into your busy yeah, routine? I had to go at six in the morning. I, like my sponsor does a thing, wake up the sun. It's a podcast, and I'm I'm big on getting up early because I can get. Dude, I, that's your sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I've I, I've heard that. That's great stuff. Yeah. No, he's amazing. The yeah. Guy, the guy's a prodigy. I love him. I, I, God put him in my life. We can me. say his name, right? What's his name? Matt Williams. Yeah, Matt Williams. I've listened to that. I've had guests on here where I've wanted to hear what they had to say, and I'll search them, and they were on his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's a stud. So, yeah, I, I got up early in the morning. I still, even the more that I get piled on my plate, I try and get up earlier because by, by, by 9 a.m. and, you know, and you get up at 5, in four hours, I can, I can have a full day. Yeah. I, I have a routine right now. When we talked about before, it's not – mentally physically and spiritually and that's when i had everything asked backwards everything for me is not spiritually by being spiritually fit and seeking that connection with god every day a real connection then i can be mentally fit and then i can be physically fit and it's like you know you can't outwork a diet i gotta nutrate properly and hydrate properly all these things when i'm just trying to go to the gym my, my diet's off my nutrition's off my mind's out of whack you know and i'm really just trying to kind of I love that. I'm going to stop you there. You say, I, you can't outwork a diet. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're eating like shit, it doesn't matter how much, right? It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't even have to work out. I could just I get up and do my readings and be spiritually fit and eat good, and I, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life. <laughs> That's so Obviously, true. I, I, need to, I need to do better, Yeah. and I'm on to that, but now I know my, what, what lies ahead of me, my, my routine, because I know what to do in the, in the gym and to stay fit. So I've had a lot of experience in that, and that, that'll all come. But I have a routine now. I get up every morning. I go, we have a little Zen room in the house. I sit down, I read my daily reflections. I have a book that changed my life, and I share on it, and a lot of people have been picking it up and reading it. It's called A Moment of, Moment of Strength. It's absolutely unbelievable. Okay. And then every, um, every, um, every day in there, 
has a little Bible verse, and I open the Bible, and I have a Bible that has a journal in it, and I, I journal in that Bible. So, I'm, I'm, you know, recovery has brought me close to God. I've always been close to God, but it's really given me a, a true relationship. And now, now more than anybody, that's who I use to hold me accountable. I have my sponsor. I have my brotherhood. I my, you know, my sponsorship family. I have people in my life. It's kind of different. I don't really have this huge friend circle anymore. I know a lot yeah. of people from the restaurant industry and have all these acquaintances. But I, I kind of almost still wouldn't think that because I'm very social. But I, I keep a, a small circle. And, you know, the start of the day is me and God. And we get our shit together so I can, I can be the best dad. I have two boys that I want to be, not their best friend, but when they wake up and they see me in the book every morning, that's what's up. I yeah. Want, I want to be an, an action man. I don't want to pound down their throat of what they should be doing. I'm trying to stop coaching them too because that got tiring. I, I want to, I just, I really want to be a man of action and I want God to show me how to act every day. How much time do you spend at the restaurant? And it's, it's not just, it's not just a restaurant too. You've got all kinds of other stuff going on. Yeah, restaurant market speakeasy. It wasn't a lot, and you know, and it got annoying going there. And people always ask, you know, you're never here. What are you doing here? And my feel was, you know, we have a good management team, and if I'm here, then we got a problem. And now things have changed so drastically since we've hired this consultant, and you know, I dove back in, and I enjoy being there more than ever. That anxiety has been lifted, and I, we just celebrated our nine year anniversary, so it's taken about eight and a half years for me to get back into my business. Yeah. That's that. I was, that's, that's awkward. You know, I have a business that puts food on my table and a team that, you know, manages that business. And, you know, it's, it was an eye opener to see how much I was needed there and what a, what a you know, intricate part I, I was of that team. And it was, it was difficult trying to be a leader from afar. What do you share with guys that work in the restaurant industry uh, that you meet in sobriety? Because it happens, oh, it happens a lot. Uh, guys in the industry will end up. Are you, in, in, are you sure? That, are you sure this is what you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough, man. I, I I'm dealing with people you know that I work with today that it's not. I really, if you can, to just really try and get your act together before you get into relationships and into. A job, especially around alcohol, you know, trying, um, I can't relate to it because I, I never lost a restaurant. I almost did. So I've always had the place to find work. But, um, and then I started to get creative and try to do things outside of work. But, um, it, it, it's difficult to work in the restaurant industry, especially when you're surrounded by alcohol. You know, I have friends that are bartenders that are sober and God bless them. It's, it's tough. When I'm at an event, I, I like to attend bar. I'm an entertainer. Um, it's hard for me to go to some of these events and just socialize and have people drinking and sitting on me. Yeah, it's good. It's good to say. I, I totally agree. It's like it's almost yeah. like, what can you do? What can you bring to I a party? Say, and if it's and if I that's yeah. Busy, yeah. yeah yeah yeah, I'll show up with a bottle of Class A Azul in 1942, and I'm the life of the party still. But I just party in a different way. Yeah, uh, I don't sit still a lot with uh, the same group of people. Um, uh, I kind of move around a lot and I, I got to keep on the go. And I, I set a four hour window usually Four? that's so a lot. Know. That's, that's a lot, right? It, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I got there, but you know, it's like, Hey, let's go late and leave late or let's go early and leave early. I'd much rather go early somewhere. But, um, it's, it, it's all that takes a lot, a lot of time. That, that wasn't when a lot of people get sober, you start to count down. Like when will I be able to drink again? Or when will I be able to do this again? And, um, it's, 
that'll really get to you. I was a big, um, when I first got sober, I lived in the past a lot, you know, kind of all that guilt and shame. And You listen to what a lot? Kind of, I lived in the past a lot. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, totally. You, you do your inventory and you really, you really start to think about all the people that I brought down, damn near killed or, you know, just, it, it, was, it was tragic. Did you have a lot and, of guilt about being, like, because, you know, you hear the old, the old, like, saying like oh bartenders are just you know restaurant people are just feeding drunks you know more alcohol and stuff like that was there guilt associated with that did you start telling yourself some bullshit like oh i'm responsible for other people or yeah yeah there's so many people that i got high there's uh, kids that i got high on my football team and late to practice and high during practice and I remember I threw somebody a pass as a quarterback and I and, you know I threw the ball behind them and he tore his, a, his uh, ACL and that ruined his whole, it really ruined his whole football career. And I, I was, I was high at practice and I was doing good. I thought, but it was just, um, 100%. There, there's so many things that, um, I have empowered people and taken them down the wrong road. And you know, I know people that have died. You know, I don't, I don't live with that guilt today because I know that people make their own decisions, but you know, I ran hard with them in a circle back in the day and, they didn't get out of it like I did. Uh, dude, it's, like, it, you know, it is, it is but for the grace of God, dude. Yeah. 100%. What about, what about your wife, your relationship with her? I love, I love seeing a relationship bounce back from, you know, tumult through somebody working a program in recovery, because we're talking about two total, two totally different people. Like how has your relationship changed with, with your wife? And how has she been rewarded for hanging in there with you? She definitely hung in there with me, man. Um, my wife's slogan is kill with kindness. And she's a, a smooth operator. So I love her to death. And uh, like I said, things got really bad towards the uh, end of my addiction. And then in the first couple of years, having these talks that, you know, because she still drinks and does her thing. And that was really awkward because I was trying to either diagnose her or control her and manipulate her. Um, there was a lot of jealousy in, in sobriety in, 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 in before and after. Yeah, totally. You really learn to kind of check yourself. Where am I at? You know, and then all these kind of things you talk about staying in your lane and, you know, praying on things and letting go of things. So all, all that process, but everything that I've learned in the program, I've been, I've been able to kind of take home and share in my house you know now we all go to church together and we don't just go to church to go to church we hear a message and we're learning from it we all dive into our devotions there's a there's a, an energy in our house that's unbelievable and it's, it relates to the principles of the program that are similar to the codes of Bushido and you know the buddhist and, and everything that's in the bible it's just there's a lot of similarities there and it's we are a humble loving household that respects each other. We're not perfect, but it's, um, the 12 step program has changed my life. It's changed my wife's life. It's changed my kid's life. I use those same principles at work. So it's, it's, it's just fascinating that, you know, that's what got me really close to God. And, um, you know, I owe it all to my sponsor, my program, and most of all to God, it's, you know, having a second chance and, I, I, this is a gift that I get to show up today, one day at a time, spread the word. I'm, I, you know, I struggle a lot with the spirituality of, you know, my brother's gotten heavy into 
maybe a little bit overboard with his spirituality and that's for him which is fine and, you know sometimes you wonder am i am i doing enough bringing my spirituality to work or in my everyday things you know it's my, my my main focus is to be a spiritual leader in my household and that's, yeah that's where it starts with me waking up in the morning with my kids and my wife my extended family and then i try and bring that into work so you just touched on something, something. Uh, i want to i want to ask you because this comes up once in a while right in meetings or how do you somebody that is on the debate squad right or is on the fence about spirituality or god and they come in and you got this person whose life is just completely blown up and they're they're protecting their their blown up life right and and like no like i don't want to i don't want to be spiritual or i don't want to have a higher power what do you say to that person that is hanging on to this idea of no God or struggling with spirituality, but somebody that obviously needs to get sober because they're talking to you about it. It's tough because at the end of the day, if you're not willing to surrender to something, even the fact that I believe, or some people believe in a tree or universe, but when you're trying to micromanage everything and run the show, that that's the problem. When you're, when you're, and that was, that was another difficult thing to do. You know, sober for three or four years and still not able to let go of things. And still harder today. I'm much better at it. But that surrender and that letting go, I think that's the biggest problem. But, you know, some people just aren't ready. And the sad part is once you've worked the program and you're, you've kind of been around, you realize it's a matter of life and death. It's, it's that serious. They used to be like, whoa, 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 chill out. It's not that serious. But it is. You know, you either, you either let go and surrender or you, you go searching for your bottom or you die. It's, it's, I, I keep it that serious. I see people go out after 29 years of sobriety that drop bombs in meetings and they mentor me. And, you know, they, they come back and they don't even remember going to meetings for 29 years. I don't know where their head's been and they don't even know how to pray and connect anymore. So yeah. it is, it's real. Yeah, like I, it's it's. I don't know that like if I if I, I always say like if or I've heard people say this right like I'm always ripping stuff off. But if I I I don't know that I could get back if I went out. I really don't, and I don't know what kind of shape I I, I would be in. And I'm and I I've realized recently too. Like I used to smoke a lot of weed, right? And and I would smoke, and I didn't know what was going to happen to me. This is one of the variety of of drugs I would do. But I would smoke, and I wasn't quite sure how I was going to feel. Sometimes I'd freak out and get paranoid. Sometimes it'd be great, you know. And I'd have to have like fifty seven beers to even out. And yeah. yeah, but but so and, but then that's the addict behavior, right? Like I would still smoke, even knowing that there was a fifty percent chance, maybe greater that I would lose my shit and not have a good time. And I think people forget about like that reality. You, 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 I, if you go to enough 12-step stuff and, and meetings, you hear people come back out that are like, I didn't even have fun. Like I literally didn't even have a good time. And, and it's this complete, I see it as, for me, like a mindfuck let, oh, like alcohol and drugs are this, this way, this, this, this vehicle to happiness and freedom. When I know right in front of me what works is sobriety and 12 steps. Cause I have, I hear it coming off you. I like to think I have some of the same stuff. Like I, I, I live pretty free today and I'm pretty, like you said, you just want to be happy. I, I have those good days. Uh, and, uh, but I still tell myself once in a blue moon, like, oh, maybe I could, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and that freedom, even on a bad day, <clears throat> you can still find that gratitude. It's just a complete mindset change. I mean, you were talking about smoking and, all that stuff back in the day. I don't, 
I don't know that I really had a purpose. You know, growing up, I had that American dream that I was going to play football, college football, and that I was uh, going to be an attorney. And I was really smart at a 4.2, a 4.2, and, and you know, my freshman and sophomore year, I was was a very good athlete, could have played quarterback, and um, boom, I really got into drugs, alcohol, sex. Can't leave that out. The sex and sugar is something that I struggle with today on a daily basis. Sex and sugar, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> the drugs and alcohol are gone, but it, it's not. I don't want to say that it's not the drug and alcohol problem. My disease is doing push-ups in the parking lot, and I, I heard that. And I like to say, because it's, it's, I have a mental disease and it's, it's not a weak thing. I just got to stay on top of it by, you know, turning things over to God, not trying to lean on my own will, not trying to figure everything out and have the answer for everything, being open-minded, asking for help all the time, learning how to listen, that shut the fuck up and listen mentality. It's huge. It's yeah. so big. Because, I can't, I know, can't hear that enough. Tell me a little bit about your, yeah. your, uh, your, your football career. So uh, it seems like, I mean, Cardinal Gibbons, it's a football. It's got great reputation for football in Florida, and it, it does. It does now. We're going back. He's had to say for twenty years, twenty plus years. So, at the time, I, I remember I, I was one of the first kids to get a helmet out there as a freshman because I ran cross country. So I ran like a five minute mile. Every kid, every senior and junior hated me. They're like, "Why are you running so fast?" I'm like, "I want my helmet." You know, <laughs> I, I got a helmet. I, I made the JV team, and you know, halfway into the season. I got an opportunity. My my first pass was like a a long touchdown pass, like a sixty yard touchdown pass. And I, I started J V and came back to grade my sophomore year. But that was when I really already I was balancing. I was training. Balancing already, yes, yes. And it wasn't that I oh we want that balance today, but I don't I wouldn't call it balancing back then. I was just uh it, it was I don't know, I don't even know what to call it. But it was, it was, ju- it was juggling great. chainsaws, dude. Juggling. Juggling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, juggling. Yeah. Juggling is a great word. I don't want to be good at juggling. It's not, you know, people think I'm a good juggler. That's not what I want to be known for. It's, I don't want to take on too much, and, you know, I, I want to do things right. But that was it. Juggling the alcohol, the friends, the sex, the drugs, football, school. And then everything just took a back seat to drugs and alcohol. It just got worse and worse and worse. And that's what I wanted to get to. You know, I had no purpose. There, there was, it was, my purpose was to have fun and make sure everybody around me was having fun. And then I was just, I didn't have, I wasn't alcoholic. I was just crazy. And that was, it was a good way to be. Did you have a moment uh, where you just felt completely hopeless? Um, no, you know, I thought about death a lot or, you know, you know, I guess, I don't know, taking my life for attention sometimes. I may have said that to my mom or my girlfriend. And, you know, the world would be better off without me. Yeah. I think that was more probably a, an attention thing, which was hard too. You know, I didn't think I was a people pleaser or needed attention until you get sober and you, you put on prescription glasses and you see everything differently. So I was a huge people pleaser. And I was a huge manipulator. You know, I was a... I never lied. I never manipulated, and I, I wasn't controlling until you get sober. And you realize that's all I. <laughs> that was talking to a sober guy about that this morning. Yeah. Yeah. We always have some type of agenda. Sometimes I was so good at manipulating, I didn't even know I was doing it. It was just, which is to gain control. That's how my sponsor broke things down. Everything kind of relates to fear. You know, fear of things not going your way, fear of losing control. 
a fear of losing something or someone. So it's pretty profound when you start to think like that. And um, I don't know, everything has changed. Today, it's that serenity. I am, I am so calm. And even though I'm deep down, don't really change, but I'm not. I'm not this obsessive, compulsive person. I know I can be still. I can go on a walk. I can listen to a podcast. I don't have to be doing 10 things at once. Um, I can take suggestions and not have to reply or not have to fix people. So I really, I'm by no means am I perfect. There's so much work to do, but it's, um, it's been amazing to see, you know, what, what working a program and just showing up to life one day at a time and, you know, work, working these steps, which I really, I, I wish everyone, when I found out that all this stuff worked, I wanted to go to high schools and, you know, share this with kids that were, going through that middle school era and coming into high school and so many things are going on in their life, oh my gosh. family, yeah. hormones, but it's, you know, it doesn't work out that way. You know, you hear that like lighthouse, not foghorn thing. And that's the best thing that I even think God wants us to do is or for me is just to, to act and, and, and to walk, walk that life. And people see you, people see the way you show up, even when you're, you know, by what you do by yourself matters. A couple more things before I, I, I let you go. Um, this has been this has been phenomenal, by the way. I mean, it's just been beyond my expectations, so I appreciate it. What um, what are when you look at a picture of yourself uh, when you were younger? What what do you what do you see? What do you how do you feel? I've I've, I've been like <laughs> I've been wrestling with this a little bit recently. I'm just I'm curious to see what what emotions you go through when you see the you know Troy as a young addict or maybe even before the addiction was going to wreck him what how do you feel what feelings go through you restless crazy um now i would say irritable and discontent i certainly didn't feel like it back then you know i was having the time of my life um i was a i was a party animal i was a, the life of a party and um I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but I really don't have any regrets. You know, could I have played college ball? Could I have been an attorney and been in a different career and stayed far away from this restaurant industry? Um, maybe, but I don't think that was God's plan for me. And, you know, today, it's everything's working out. So I, I don't regret it all, but I, I look back, I, crazy would be the number one word. Like a good crazy, not yeah. sentimental. Crazy. I, 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 I appreciate you saying that about the regrets because for me, like I, you know, that's how I met Matt Midget and all the guys I was with this weekend. I went to Richmond to play football and they found out that I had a heart defect right when I got there and they kept me around. They kept me, you know, on the team or affiliated with the team. But I mean, it was all, it was drug and alcohol related and, uh, and I don't want to see it then. And some, I haven't even, I was so addicted and so you know intoxicated with this substance and or by the substance and these drugs that like I never actually looked at that right like what does that mean like like do I regret that or whatever and then you kind of run from it you know I mean I was an alcoholic regardless but then I I certainly wasn't processing any emotions because of what I was putting in my body and now I look back and I'm like okay it's all right like and I really don't have any regrets because the esteemable things I've done in sobriety <laughs> and I, not, not been perfect, like you said, but the things I've done have made me a little more comfortable in my own skin or pretty close to comfortable. And that's, and I understand now. And for me, it's big to talk to people like you and I appreciate you being 
open and public because you're a public guy. And, and I think it's important for people to hear your story, to know that I think it's amazing, dude, that you're, you're able to, you've navigated, you know, being a restaurateur um, at all and, and being involved in the restaurant industry at all kinds of levels and maintaining sobriety and, uh, and just working hard, you know, no, nobody's perfect and shit happens, but you just continue to, to chase it, which is, I think that's, for me, that's the most important thing. Am I chasing it today or not? Yep. What was your, what was, how did you look at yourself? Um, I, good question. Uh, there's the sadness that, you know, this guy d- doesn't really know what he's doing. Like to what you said, I had no purpose. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had no idea. Even when I was using and I got like some interesting jobs, you know, after college, I still didn't like, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no goals except for today. I am going to put stuff in my body that makes me feel good. And that was, everything, there, there, there wasn't a day without it almost. Right? Yeah. I, I can relate. Yeah. So it was it's like, always, yeah. It's always like a coping mechanism though, wasn't And that's why I say it by no means. You know, one of the hardest things that I had to swallow was being an alcoholic when I'm no longer drinking and drugging. I get, you know, I got hung up on that in year three and four of sobriety for a long time. I'm talking to my sponsor about it all the time. And then, you know, you hear the, the, the isms, the I, self, me. And the, I don't even like to call them defects. I just like to call them traits because the defects are like the gold in my pocket today. That's, that's my DNA. That's what makes me. And it, I didn't know all those things when I was younger growing up. I, I didn't know all these defects and traits that I had. I, um, I plowed right through them by partying, entertaining, drugging, drinking, shaking, moving, going hard in the pain, as you said. And then it was a time when you, when you take all that out and you, you stop doing all these things and life changes, you really get a, a, a true look at yourself. And, you know, maybe, it, yeah, it was a big piece of shit. So now what? And that's when, you know, that's when the things change and you really look at yourself. So today I probably admit that I'm an alcoholic and I'll always be one. Whether or not I pick up a drink or not, and it's not, you know, the alcohol and the drug is definitely, I, I can't go back to it. And I, I know that. And I, and, I, and I tell myself that because there's no just one drink or one drug. I don't just take a puff. I smoke 10 months. You know, I don't just drink a drink. It's just not how I roll. And I, I've tried that. And I've proven it. But in... And, you know, maybe sometimes I'll get like, you know, if I've changed the way I think right now and I'm not so obsessive and impulsive, maybe I can drink differently. I don't even want to. Yes, that's so the, and that's do, the point, I would, yeah. I would never want to do anything to jeopardize the way that I am today. And that's that, the bullshit that, that we tell ourselves, that, that that would be like a good time or whatever. That, that to me, is like a real reflection of how sick we ca- our thinking kind of is. That's the real alcoholic. If people don't sit there and think, well, when I'm 75, can I go to Napa and have a drink with my <laughs> wife for the 50th year anniversary? People, normal people don't don't think like that. Yeah, that's, that's the insanity. But to me, that's the gift. That's where you flip everything around. Problem, challenge, solution. You know, every everything is an opportunity and a gift. Things don't happen to me; they happen for me. So this is a new way of living. That no matter what you throw at me. I, you know, I look back, I was very uncomfortable in my own skin. Today, I die to be uncomfortable because I know the growth that comes from that. That's why I jump in a plunge every day. Wow. Not I like it, but it's like, I'm, you show me something uncomfortable, I'm diving in. Because there's just, you're bound to be great afterwards. And it's not about knowing what that's like. It's just, 
it just works out that way. You know, so I, I it's not I'm not living on the edge, you know, I'm jumping on a plane. But um I, I, I seek that. You know, if I'm comfortable, it's not a it's not a good place for me to be. It's just complacent and content. I don't I don't operate well like that. I gotta I'm not I'm not crazy. I know I probably jumped around a lot while we were talking, but I It's I, awesome. Yeah, I just, that, that's, that's that's how I'm wired, and I don't. It's not a bad thing. You know, I want to get out there and help as many people as I can. I want to listen and communicate with as many people as I can. I want to learn from as many people as I can, and I, and I kind of want to stay uncomfortable. Granted, you know, it, it sounds extreme, but it, again, that's, I feel like that's how God made me. How, how last question for you? When you're 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 at a meeting, or you're you're out there, or whatever, and somebody wants to know. How, how do I do it? Like Troy, somebody's trying to get sober and they, they don't have, they just can't get it. You know, like, like I, it took me, I think 10 years to get a year, you know, like in and out, in and out. What do you tell that person that asks you, Hey, Hey, what's, what do I do? You try something different, get, get to a meeting and that whole surrender and let go. And, you know, it's that lack of giving up control and surrendering that really, I feel like, is the ultimate problem. They say you don't just go back out, that it happens a long, a long time in the making. And, and I believe that, that it's, it's all that, it's your decision making and the, the choices that you make and which is all control. So when, you know, I'm not a robot just going through thoughtlessly through the day, but I, I really, I, I pause and I think a lot and I, and I don't just react all the time. I'm not so reactive. I mean, it's, it's, those are miracles in its own. If you would have known me my entire life, <laughs> those are, those are, they don't have to be like the miracles that, you know, something spectacular out of, out of ordinary happens. That those are real miracles. And I'm not so reactive and I'm not so quick to just flip the switch and yell at somebody or to pound, pound my thinking into you. And I can just kind of sit down and, and listen and not even have to say anything. That right there is a miracle. The pause button. One of the greatest inventions ever. <laughs> Don't know how I how I walk through life with never using it. Today, it's like one of my most valuable tools. Just kind of pause. In that pause, though, for me, that's where I find that uh, connection with God. Yes. I, had, I read like a couple months ago was the most profound thing ever, and I still pray on it today. Instead of praying every day to connect to God, you ever pray and ask God how you get so disconnected every day? <laughs> sounds the same, but it was mind-blowing. That night I had a I had a talk with God and I just asked for the ways that you know what am I doing that is you know causing me to be disconnected. Forget about how do I connect. What am I actively doing? Every what choices am I making every day? That I'm, what, what's my partner? What am I doing that's causing that disconnection? And then it just started to roll off like a gratitude list, and I started to really understand like wow okay that that's what's going on. But they're, they're your choices. And that's what gets us into trouble and that's what puts us in the service. is choices, habits. I read that book, Atomic Habits, but that doesn't change your life. Atomic all, Habits? All kind of, yeah. It's just, you know, you, you build these habits and it is. It's, they're just choices that become habits and you can change that. Troy, you're the, I, you know, you're the man. Go ahead. Finish your thought. This is well, great. I said, you know, it's a, if I can do it, any anybody can do it. It's not woe is me. It's just it's it's. I'm not taking all the credit for it. 
It's not at the end of the day. It's not me that's been doing it. It's that that surrender. Well, that's the so key. If you're trying. If you're yeah. If you're trying to get sober and you're doing it on your own, that's the fucking problem. And you can't pound it into somebody. So sure, why don't you go out and keep doing what you're doing? Or you know, you know like my sponsor says, you know, the, the program's not a buffet. You don't come and take what you want. And you know, try it. You know, when people recover in different ways, I had to learn that too. Yeah, like everybody has their own journey. And the unfortunate part is, and you, you touched on it, like, you know, somebody goes back out and it's it's Russian roulette. I mean, they're they're walking through a minefield and it's there's nothing you can do but hope you and see them again. Or they say it does. I don't, want to, I don't want to go back out there and start shooting needles. Yeah. And I never, that wasn't It me. gets worse, yes. Story. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear from everybody. I had a guy I was working with that, you know, he died like six times. He would he would OD and go to the hospital. His like heart would stop six times. That's like do that once and it's uh, an eye opener. Yeah. How how but how real is that disease? Not the drugs. The drugs are addicting. How you know what's going on upstairs? The, the thinking pattern that you know that you're just going to keep that insanity, keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's pretty heavy, man. It's pretty heavy that you're willing to, to play that Russian roulette like that. It's, then that that keeps me on my toes. More so than the people going out after 29 years, the newcomers coming in, or the people like that that I just mentioned. Yeah. It's, it's real. And it's, it is a disease of the mind. I wrote that in my book when I was writing it. It's a disease of the mind. That, that's the disease. It's, and the isms. It's, the, it's not the alcohol. It's the ism at the end. I, self, me. I'm the problem. And I can be the solution too if I surrender, let go, let God in, use the tools, follow the principles, ask for help, take suggestions. Not only can I be the best version of myself, now I can actually start to help other people. People see me change too, and they want to change. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know why it's women more than men, but they call me, <laughs> and the first thing I do is not try and fix them. I turn them on to other women that I know in sobriety that live strong, you know, healthy lives and work a good program. And I wouldn't judge me I'm, that I, you know, I go to meetings one day a week. I try and share like, you know, a couple of times a year. I pick up commitments. I, you know, talk to my sponsor as much as I like to. One of my sponsors, I love him to death, is a barber. So when I get in the seat, that's our, that's our time. Yeah. I get a haircut. So it's different for everybody. You know, when I cast judgment on it, but, you know, my, my big thing is my life out of whack if I can't, if I can't pray and I can't connect with God. And that sometimes that's when I'll hit up two or three or four meetings in a week to kind of dial back in. I love I, I love what that what that therapist told you, you know, because they kind of regurgitate what they hear, like you said. And regurgitation isn't a good word, but you get it. And she said, "Hey, you need you need a ninety and ninety, you know." Yeah. And it did, and it, and it got me it got me to where I needed to be, and kind of set set fire, you know, set that trail that um I needed that I, I needed that spirituality. And now I'm I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, and it's not it's not at all what I thought it would be. I, I don't have as much money as I thought would happiness equal. And I you know I don't have two wives and different marriages and all these hot cars. Well, I, and you also I said, so dude, you you don't know what's next. Like you're excited to see what God has in store for you, which is kind of like that's right. you don't know what's around the next corner. No, and I don't care. Yeah, I'm and if it's future. and if it's uncomfortable, you grow from it. And if it's and if it's a pot of gold. You enjoy it, and it's just kind of you. You try to stay on the beam during the whole time. Yep, 
Hey, what's so yeah. where so, so the bar is Papa's Raw Bar. Where exactly is it for people? People listen to this all over the country. I'm not saying like a million people do. But. It's in Lighthouse Point, Florida, one of the you know most treasured cities in the United States. It's not Lighthouse Jupiter, which is Lighthouse Point, okay, um, next to Deerfield in Fort Lauderdale. Um, we've been rocking there since before I was born, 1976. The market started. Um, we have an Instagram page um, at Papa's Raw Bar LHD. I'll put it in the show notes. New, yeah, we're opening up a new concept in the Cove Shopping Center, which is the most nostalgic center in uh, South Florida's uh, Asian Kitchen. And, uh, you know, they coined us the three white boys opening up an Asian kitchen. We're next to a new brewery, so that's going to be fun. Something we're all passionate about is that, uh, that umami food that really uh, resonates with your palate. And um, you can follow me on Instagram at Troy Ganter. You know, I try and put myself out there in the food world. You know, I try and, you know, practice fellowship and uh, be a disciple. So that's where we're at. You're doing a hell of a job, dude. And I can't, by the way, thank you so much for giving me your time. And, and I really appreciate you bearing with us for the first like 15 minutes. I, you, you definitely passed uh, the spirituality test. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're sober and I'm glad you're out there trying to help other people and share your story and, and you know, get stories out of other people. I think it's, uh, it's important that we, we continue to carry the torch. It's all we can do, man. And I appreciate you like, you know, Hopefully we're helping people, and that's really like you said. I, I like I have a purpose today, and and that's a far yeah. cry from from where I was eleven, twelve years ago. Yeah, and a big thing too when you kept asking. I guess the number one answer would be you're not alone. You know, we we we're in this together. Hey, thanks so much, Troy. I appreciate you, dude. Yeah, man. Thank you. Later. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 